County Communications. This is Stacey. Hi, Stacey. My name's Nicole, and I'm calling because I'm concerned about um, a friend of mine. Um, I dropped her off at her house at 2 in the morning last night because we were out of town together, and we were on the way back from the airport, and um, issues, and she's pregnant. And I haven't been able to get a hold of her this morning, and I've gone to her house, and her car's there, and stuff like that, but she won't answer the door. She won't answer phone calls. She won't answer text messages. And then I said, like, Chris, can you just come home and check to make sure she's okay? Because the shoes she wears every single day are right inside her door. And he was like, yeah, I'll be there in three minutes. Well, that was 45 minutes ago. And I called him and asked him again, can you please come home? And he's like, I'm 45 minutes out. And she wasn't feeling well over the weekend, and she was very, like, distraught and out of the sorts because her and her husband are having issues. So... In 2018, a pregnant mother called Shannon Watts and her two daughters disappeared. Her husband and the children's father, Christopher Watts, went on TV begging the kidnappers to bring his family back. But investigators found out surprising information that made him the primary suspect. Shannon was later found in an empty field and the kids in two petroleum tanks. Today, I will talk about the disturbing case of the Watts family murder. Hello everyone, I hope you are doing alright. I'm Fabio Carvalho and this is the Mystery Archive Project. Follow us on the streaming platform you are listening to now to receive notification whenever a new episode comes out. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. Now, let's have a good look in today's case. Shannon was born on January 10, 1984, in New Jersey, the USA. She was the daughter of Frank and Sandra Ruchek and had a brother named Frankie William. She was a very hard worker and worked as a promoter in cell phone stores in a tire shop as a sales representative for suitcases and her most recent job was a contract employee at a car dealership before dedicating herself entirely to sales of nutritional supplements for the Thrive company Level, in which she was registered as self-employed. Shanane married a man named Leonard King in 2002. They ended up separating because Leonard claimed that she spent too much time working. They tried marriage counseling, but unfortunately, the marriage ended six years later, in 2008. The couple had no children. At the start of 2010, she received messages on Facebook from a guy named Christopher Watts. They were typical messages from someone who was interested in meeting her. Shannon took a long time to respond and sometimes ignored them because she wasn't in a right frame of mind to get involved with someone. Christopher Lee Watts, who you'll just call Chris from now on, was born on May 16, 1985, in North Carolina, United States. He is the son of Ronald and Cindy Watts and has a sister named Jamie Watts. Chris sent Shannon a friend request which she accepted. They exchanged phone numbers and she decided to be completely honest with him about everything she was going through. 
Shannon had serious health issues, including diabetes and lupus. She told him that she always had headaches, body aches, was generally exhausted. She didn't know if this was the best time for her to get involved with someone. Chris was very friendly. He said there was no obligation to take this further. It's fine if they just ended up being friends, but increasing their bond of friendship could be good for both of them. Even this talk was peaceful. Their first date didn't work out very well because Shannon felt ill while he drove her in his car. When he stopped the vehicle, she laid on his lap to rest a little and ended up sleeping for a bit. Chris just let her sleep, patting her head. Although their first meeting was out of ordinary, it was enough for her to fall in love with him. It didn't take long for the two to start dating. Apparently, Chris's parents, Ronald and Cindy, didn't want their son to marry Shannon. Cindy said the couple didn't get along. According to Sandra, Shannon's mother, Cindy actually didn't like the idea that Shannon was divorced and said that she was very controlling and a perfectionist. However, it appears that Cindy Watts herself was the controlling one, so, perhaps, she was also resentful of having another dominant woman enter her son's life. Chris himself later said that although Shannon took on a leadership role in their household, he never felt slighted. They were married on November 3rd, 2012, and Chris's parents did not attend. Shortly after their wedding, Shannon and Chris moved to Frederick, Colorado, to start a new life. Chris, with his technical course in mechanics, had the chance to work at Anadarko, a large oil company in the United States. Shannon, at the time, was not yet self-employed and was still working at a dealership. The couple's first daughter was born on December 17, 2013, Bella Mary Watts. The second, Celeste Catherine Watts, called Cece, was born a year and a half later, on July 17, 2015. Both girls had problems such as asthma and severe allergies. Cece was born with an undeveloped esophagus, so she had to undergo several surgical procedures. It was in 2017 that Shannon started in the autonomous business of selling nutritional products, and her results were so good that that same year she left the dealership and dedicated herself exclusively to Lavelle. Now, with greater flexibility in her schedule, she started to spend more time at home and used social media a lot, both for work and to share some family moments. Her illness was never something she hid, So, people knew she was going through this struggle, and it turned out to be a positive thing, as she was able to demonstrate that the products she represented, which she also used, gave her a lot of energy. On social media, she always showed videos of her cooking, playing and taking care of the children, going out with her friends, keeping the house clean and organized, and look, it was a huge house with five bedrooms.
Due to this life on social media, Shannon decided to share a very special moment for her. In 2018, she found out she was pregnant for the third time. She ordered a t-shirt written, oops, we did it again, and placed a camera in her house to record her husband's reaction. Chris was surprised and happy, but deep down, Shannon found his reaction a little simple. In addition, groups of comments on her social media were divided. Some were saying that the reaction was wonderful, while others said that it really had been a little cold. The couple was always in debt, mailing to the family's medical expenses. In 2017, Shannon had one surgery on her neck and it cost $47,000. Also, the youngest daughter, Cece, had a very serious allergy to foods containing any oleaginous composition. Chestnut, walnut, peanut, hazelnut, etc. This was so serious that if she ate this type of food, she could suffocate and stop breathing. Shannon always carried an EpiPen just in case. So, all these things ended up increasing the couple's deaths. The pregnancy happened due to the several conversations that the two were having in recent months, in which Chris said that he would love to have a son, as he could get out of this completely female universe. But stopping to analyze it, when it justified that a new child can improve a couple's relationship, it is because the couple, for whatever reason, is experiencing some kind of problem. She always said, to friends and family, that he was the one who insisted on having another child. So, regardless of the financial problems, the third child was planned. Days after the pregnancy announcement, Shanine realizes that her husband no longer treats her the same way. All the affection and attentiveness that the couple had had before was increasingly rare. In addition... Chris started to come home late and was constantly stressed. Shannon talked to her closest friends about some of the problems in their marriage. She said he was behaving weird and rarely touched her belly as he used to do during the previous two pregnancies. Days later, Shannon underwent an ultrasound and discovers that the baby was male. She was very happy and told him, who appeared pleased, but in a way she didn't expect. The family scheduled a vacation during the girls' school holidays. This would happen as follows. There would be six weeks of vacation, of which the first five weeks, Shanane would travel with the girls to her parents' house and Chris would be working, but in the last week, he would join the family and they would go to Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, which would be the first time that they would take the children to a beach. This was the first time that the couple would be apart for so long and also that Chris would be alone. On the first weekend, something very dangerous happened. Shanane went to spend the afternoon at her parents-in-law's house, taking the girls to see their grandparents and all the children who would be there. However, 
the meeting that was supposed to be cheer up the children ended up in a very serious argument between her and her mother-in-law, Cindy. Previously, Shanae had called her mother-in-law to remind her to remove food containing nuts from Cece Reach's because, for in a moment of distraction by any of the adults, she could ingest it. When they arrived at the house, Shanae noticed a pistachio container on the small table next to the sofa in the living room. During the day, Cindy gave ice cream that contained peanuts to all the children, but of course, she didn't give it to Cece and left her watching all the others eating their ice cream. Shanae, obviously, was very upset with her mother-in-law's attitude. They both had a serious argument. Shanae said Cindy was not allowed to see her daughters anymore because she was playing with Cece feelings and putting her life in dangers. The girl's grandfather, on the other hand, preferred not to get involved and said that he preferred to cut off his relationship with Shanann and the children for a while until the dust settled. Shanann and Cindy called Chris, but each told their version. Chris sided with Shanann as he knew how serious these allergies were. He spoke to his mother and told her she wouldn't be seeing the kids for a while. However, this did nothing to change his behavior towards his wife. During the trip, Shanae expected them to keep in touch every day, at least seeing the children via video call. But he was still called while talking to her on the phone. Shanae bought some self-help books on Amazon, copies for her and for him, but when he received the books, he threw them in the trash without even opening them. The videos that Shanae posted on social media did it not show as much joy and happiness as in previous videos. Without realizing it, she was letting on that she was going through some problems. In the last week of the vacation, when Chris would be joining his wife and daughters, Shanae believed that would be the time to reconnect, but the situation worsened. He didn't kiss her and avoided intimacy. When they went out together, he would arrange to meet someone or take one of the girls to play with. At bedtime, it was the same. He stayed in the hotel living room watching TV and ended up sleeping on the couch. This happened for the first two days, when then, on the third, she couldn't take it and went to talk to him, asking what was going on. In a disappointed tone, he said he didn't want to have another child anymore. Shanin couldn't believe what she was hearing and was in shock for several minutes. She couldn't sleep and cried all night. In the morning, Chris arrived in the room saying Shanin should not worry because there was something happening inside of him and he would sort it out. With only three days to go before the end of the trip, she couldn't enjoy it and vented to her friends in all the groups she participated in. Lupus support group, support group for children with allergies, etc. She also sent messages to Chris. In one of these, she said, If you want to break up, if you don't love me, 
if you don't want to make it work anymore, if you are not happy anymore, and you are only here because of the kids, I need you to tell me. He responds, I'm not staying just because of the kids. They are my light no matter where I am. I'm just not sure what's on my mind. Shanine privately messaged her best friend, Nicole Atkinson. Chris told me last night that he doesn't want our third child anymore. And later she added, he's changed. I don't know who he is. The family holiday ended. They returned home on the 8th of August. Two days later, on the 10th, Shanine already had a trip to a sales conference in Arizona. She would stay there for two days, returning on the night of the 12th. Before traveling, Shanine, as always, left everything organized. The girls' clothes, all their meals, and because the girls had a little birthday party to go to in their condo, she left the presents wrapped, so Chris wouldn't have to worry about a thing. On Saturday night, August 11th, before the conference, around 6 p.m., Shanine calls Chris to check on the kids, talk to them, and say goodnight before they go to sleep. The couple always put the children to bed at 7.30 p.m., reading them stories until they fell asleep around 8 p.m. However, Chris didn't answer the phone. She sent a few text messages and got no replies. Shortly after 7 p.m., Shanine receives an SMS notification from the credit card company informing her that Chris has just spent $63 at a sports bar. She finds the message strange for three reasons. First, this bar was in a neighboring town. Second, the value was very high because he didn't usually go out spending those amounts. And third, because he should have been with the kids at home at the time. Shannon immediately texts Chris. Where are you? I just saw a credit card charge. And he replies. I left the kids with a nanny at home and came to watch a game. That amount was because I ate a salmon and had a few beers. Even so, she was on the back foot and ended up going to the restaurant's website, downloaded the menu and saw that for him to have eaten salmon and drunk beer to the point of reaching $63, he should have had at least nine beers. When she saw this, she realized Chris was lying and couldn't continue the conference. She told her friends that she wasn't feeling well, that she was dizzy, and that she was going to bed. The next day, Sunday, would be the little party that Chris would take the girls to. She asked to see pictures of the girls at the party and he sent some. He added that he would go home between 5 and 6 p.m., feed them, put them to sleep, that everything was under control. At the airport, Shanine posts on Facebook, I can't wait to get home to Chris and the girls. Miss you so much. When she tried to tag Chris on Facebook, she couldn't find his profile. He had deleted his account. Guys, imagine the situation. Lupus, pregnancy, with marriage problems, 
and away from home discovering very strange things about her husband. To make it worse, her flight was delayed by about four hours. She was supposed to arrive at the destination airport at around 9 p.m., but she only got home at 1.48 a.m., as we know from the security footage of the house. Next morning, her friend Nicole tried to call her several times, sent text messages as well, but there was no answer. Around midday, she decided to go to Shannon's house. Once there, she called the police. Hello, County Communications. This is Stacy. Hi, Stacy. My name is Nicole, and I'm calling because I'm concerned about um, a friend of mine. Um, I dropped her off at her house at 2 in the morning last night because we were out of town together, and we were on the way back from the airport, and um, issues, and she's pregnant. And I haven't been able to get a hold of her this morning, and I've gone to her house, and her car is there, and stuff like that, but she won't answer the door, she won't answer phone calls, she won't answer text messages, and I'm just really, really concerned, and she had a doctor's appointment this morning, and she didn't go to it, and I'm just, I don't know what to do. I've called him and talked to him, and he said that she went on a play date with her other two daughters, but, like, if she went on a play date, they're both in car seats, why would she not take a car? <laughs> Perfectly understandable. Do you happen to know her address, Nicole? And then I said, like, Chris, can you just come home and check to make sure she's okay? Because the shoes she wears every single day are right inside her door. Okay. And he was like, yeah, I'll be there in three minutes. Well, that was 45 minutes ago. And I called him and asked him again, can you please come home? And he's like, I'm 45 minutes out. And she wasn't feeling well over the weekend, and she was very, like, distraught and out of the sorts because her and her husband are having issues. So because she wasn't, like, eating or drinking and stuff like that. So then this morning, I was like, let me know if you need me to take you to your doctor's appointment because you're not feeling well. And I have called and texted. I've come to her house. She's not answering the door. She's not responding to text messages, phone calls. I've had other friends reach out to her. None of us can get her to respond to us. Minutes later, the police arrived. But they could not enter the house without more evidence that suggested a disappearance, a crime or, at the very least, they needed authorization from one of the owners. They called Chris, and he said he would be there in 10 minutes. Chris arrived, opened the garage door with the remote control, and went inside. The policeman did not follow him and waited at the main door. It took Chris five minutes to open the front door. The police started looking at the old rooms, avoiding touching things. Everything was very well organized, as usual, except from the children's bed. They were not made, and the sheet on the double bed was missing. According to Nicole, Shannon always made the beds and she never left them that messy. Another thing caught the attention of the police. Shannon's bag was in the kitchen, with all the documents and especially with Sissy's EpiPen, something she never left without. They also found her cell phone, but it was locked. The policeman asked Chris if he knew the code to unlock it. Chris said he didn't know, but Nicole quickly answered, I do. She confirmed the unlocking code, and in a discreet moment, Nicole looks at the police officer and says, He's not acting normal. He's kind of weird. Minutes later, 
the policeman calls Chris to go together to his neighbor's house because he had a security camera and it would be very important to check it out. Upon arriving at the neighbor's house, whose name is Nathan, they had access to the images. Nathan starts to put the videos on the monitor and Chris became increasingly stressed. The images showed Shannon getting out of Nicole's car at the dawn and entering the house at 1.48 a.m. The next image is recorded at 4.50 a.m. Chris reversed his work truck that was parked on the street and positioned it as if it was going to enter the garage. He opened the garage door, went in and out a few times, each time carrying things and putting them in the car. It was not possible to see exactly what they were. The policeman asked Chris various questions and he was not clear in his answers. When he left the room, Nathan talked to the policeman and said Chris was not behaving normally. With these images, the police obtained authorization to record the truck's GPS, which belonged to Anadarko. Because the disappearance included two minors, the police immediately activated the Amber Alert. At the same time, they distributed flyers around the neighborhood. The next morning, August 14th, two television channels were already at Chris's house to interview him. In situations like this, Journalists are instructed by the police to ask some specific questions and the camera needs to be a few meters away so that the body of the interviewee can be seen and the police can do a body language analysis later. Chris did not show any emotion or concern. He moved a lot and always with his arms crossed. At the same time as the interview took place, there was a team inside the house analyzing the environment, collecting new evidence, deploying sniffer dogs. With the truck's route report in hand, the police sent drones to retrace the path Chris took when he had left the garage that morning. During the journey, in the middle of an oil extraction region, the drones captured a fundamental image in the solving of this case. A sheet in the middle of nowhere. When they zoomed in, they confirmed that it is identical to one that they had found in the house's trash. Now, with physical material as evidence, the police were able to officially call Chris to give a testimonial. What nobody knew was that another police team was already investigating Chris and found out that he had a mistress, but during his statement, the police did not mention anything about this to see how truthful he could be in telling his version of the facts. At the police station, he explained a bit of what happened that night. For about three hours, Chris told how he met Shannon the night before they disappeared. He was asked if he thought Shannon was having some affair and Chris said he didn't think so. The investigator asked if he was having an affair and Chris said no. Chris was invited to do a polygraph test and he accepted. 
The test was scheduled for the next day, the 15th. The officer, Tammy Lee, was very well prepared. She talked to him a little to put him at ease. Tammy asked a few questions, most of which Chris denied. At the end of the questions, she removed the equipment from the room and returned to present the result. So, um, it is completely clear that you were not honest during the testing, and I think you already know that. Um, you did not pass the polygraph test. Okay. Okay. So now we need to talk about what actually happened. And I feel like you're probably ready to do that. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't lie to you on that polygraph, I promise. Chris, I'm I'm I'm, I'm no. stop. Stop. I'm, just stop for a minute. Take a deep breath. I want you to take a deep breath right now. There's a reason you feel sick to your stomach. And when people hold stuff inside, it makes you physically ill. And I can just tell on your face, I could tell you tell from the second you walked in that you were wanting to just come clean and just be done with this. And I appreciate that because you knew sitting down in that chair that you weren't going to pass today. And you knew I was going to find out because I told you that. And then you continued to say, knowing that you could, at the end, say, you know what? I just need to get this off my chest. Like, I just need to tell you what happened. We're not, we're not here to play games. We're not here to do any of that with you. We just want to know what happened. So can you start from the beginning and tell us what happened? Everything that I've just, I have told you, I did not lie on this polygraph. I am, I don't know how much I could, I could tell you right now, like, I did not. It's, it's, not, even, it's not even an option right now because no, no. you did not pass the polygraph, no, no. so I know you were being deceptive. So that's not even an issue, an issue right now. The issue right now is what happened to Shanann, Bella, and Celeste. That's the issue right now. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about that. I know, I know you want to tell us. I, I, can, I can see it in your face. This is, where, this is where the rubber meets the road, Chris. Like, don't let this continue any longer, please. I'm not trying to make anything continue. Like, I want them back home, like... But you know they're not coming back home. You know I, that. I don't know in the back of my head. I'm, I hope they come back home. But you know they're not. I hope they come back home. Mm-hmm. And I don't know they're not coming back home. I just, I just find it hard to hear you talk about having this emotional, you know, conversation with Shinian and you're bawling and crying together, and you have not shed one tear in two days that you've been here. No, not one. And I help me understand that because I don't get it. You're. These are your baby girls, and you have not shed one tear over them not being around. Chris, I I lose my four-year-old in the store for 10 seconds, and I start to go panic, panic. I have not seen any of that from you at all. Help me understand that. I love those girls. I I would never do any of this because I haven't shed a tear. Yeah, that's weird. Is that weird? Don't don't look into that. Like I don't love my kids. Well, tell me. Explain to me. You're you're crying with your wife that you're leaving her. Yeah. 
But you don't cry that your two little baby girls. I'm hoping they're still around. Some I'm hoping they're still somewhere. Jimmy, you alive. don't have them right now. You're I not know. reading stories to them at night. I know. You're not giving them midnight snacks. You're not giving them their medicine. You're not waking up with them in the morning. I know this. Like I. So that I, should cause you pain. It does cause me pain. But I don't see that. I, I don't see that. I want to I, see I, the Chris that cares. I want to see I, the Chris that you know, feels bad about what he did and wants to, you know, get this off his chest and be done with this and let us find your little girls so that they're not out there in the middle of a field or whatever somewhere. Like, don't do that. I, I love those girls to death. Then show us that. Show us that. Show us this, Chris. I'm not this, Chris. I'm not, I'm not showing you that. I'm, I'm showing you the Chris that cares about his girl and his wife. Just because I haven't shed a tear, it shouldn't make you feel like I haven't, that the love isn't there for them. After about five hours of interview, Chris asked to bring his father in. He spoke very quietly. The audio of this conversation is not clear, but he explains that he took Shanine's life because after an argument between the couple that night, she had taken the lives of the two girls. She had suffocated them, their faces had turned blue, he lost control and killed her. After it was all over, he tried to hide everything to simulate a disappearance. The officers are now committed to finding out where the family is. Chris didn't say much. He just took the photos from the table, pictures from Anandadarko field, he got a pen and pointed out the locations. He wrote the letter S for Shanae next to the sheet and the letters B for Bella and C for Celeste on the oil tanks at Anadarko. After another two hours of testimony, Chris was arrested. The interrogation lasted more than seven hours. A team of more than 30 people worked on emptying the tanks and managed to remove the girls. In the sheet area, they also managed to find Shannon. One week later, August 23rd, a woman shows up at the police station, introducing herself as Nicole Kessinger, Chris's girlfriend. As you heard, the names are very similar. Nicole Atkinson friend of Shanane, and Nicole Kessinger, girlfriend of Chris. The investigator asked some questions about their relationship. She claimed she never knew Chris was married. For her, he was divorced, but she didn't know his ex-wife's name and only found out the truth when everything was on TV. The police asked her to leave her phone as evidence, and she did it, but before that, she deleted all messages exchanged between her and Chris. However, she didn't delete anything from Google history. Nicole had said she didn't know the missing person, but in November 2017, she had searched for the words Shanane Watts. In early June 2018, she searched for something along the lines of My boyfriend says he loves me and is going to leave his wife. In July, 
there are several searches for wedding dresses. Chris was imprisoned for more than three months awaiting his trial while the police built the investigation on the basis that he would be responsible for all the crimes, mainly due to the fact that in his testimony he said that Shanine had committed the crime against the girls. However, in the prosecutor's theory, he had planned to get rid of his family to take a new life without paying child support or face the social consequences of a divorce. In addition, nothing substantial or concrete linked Nicole Kessinger to the crimes. Because of this, the responsibility seemed to be completely crisis. So, on November 6th of the same year, 2018, Chris's lawyers proposed an agreement. He would officially confess to the murder of the four in exchange for ending the stress generated for everyone involved. It is noteworthy that under Colorado law, when a pregnancy is terminated by the death of the pregnant woman caused by the third party, the third party is responsible for both deaths. So, there would be no trial, no family would have to relieve the simulations of the crime, nor see photos, and the possible death penalty would not be applied. Before talking to Chris about this agreement, the prosecutor, Marcus Rock, consulted Shannon's parents about it. They believed that their daughter was a victim and not a perpetrator. They wanted Chris to be proved guilty of the crimes in court and that he would not be given an opportunity to negotiate a plea bargain. But, as the weight of the situation in all the television media in addition, the social networks was very high, and with the fear of a possible non-definition of who were really responsible for the crimes, they agreed to the agreement. At the end, Chris also accepted. Thirteen days later, on November 19, the trial hearing took place. Many people spoke at Chris' sentencing, but the speeches that most moved and garnered attention were those of the mothers, Sandra, Shanang's mother, and Cindy, Chris's mother. Identify yourself for the record. My name is Sandra Rusak, Shannon's mother. Thank you. I wanted to say thank you for this moment. I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has prayed for our beloved family, who had sent gifts, cards to us from all over the world. I know God will put the evil people where they need to be. I also want to take the time to thank the town of Frederick, um, Greeley, uh, FBI, the DA's office, the CBI, for exceptional work. We thank Nicole um, Atkinson, um, Shannon's neighbor, Nathan, and his family. Um, to me, they're our heroes. They really, they really are. God bless. God makes no mistakes on who he puts in your life. Marriage is about love, trust, and friendship and unity. We marry for sickness and health to death do us part. Our daughter Shannon loved you with all of her heart. 
Your children loved you to the moon and back. Shannon's family was her world. Shannon put a crown on your head. But unfortunately, the day that you took their life, God removed that crown. We loved you like a son. We trusted you. Your faithful wife trusted you. Your children adored you. And they also trusted you. Your daughter, Bella Marie, sang a song proudly. And I don't know if you got to see it, but it was, Daddy, you're my hero. I have no idea who gave you the right to take their lives. But I know God and his mighty angels were there at that moment to bring them home to paradise. God gives us free will. So not only did you take the family of four, your family of four, you took your own life. I want the world to know that our daughter and her children were so loved by us. They will always be protected by God and his mighty angels. I didn't want death for you because that's not my right. Your life is between you and God now, and I pray that he has mercy for you. From Shannon's mother, Bella Marie, Celeste Catherine, and Nico Lees, Nana. Thank you, Your Honor. My name is Cindy Watts. I am the grandmother of two beautiful granddaughters, Bella Marie, Celeste Catherine Watts. I am also the mother of Christopher Watts, who I will be directing most of my statement to. First, I'd like to begin by recognizing the absolute horror of this crime and acknowledging the devastating loss that both the Rusek family as well as our family have faced. Our families have been irreparably broken by the needless deaths of Shanann, Bella, Cece, and Nico. This is something we will never get over. We will always mourn the loss of our family, and in that, we are united in our grief. I am still struggling to understand how and why this tragedy occurred. I may never be able to understand and accept it, but I pray for peace and healing for all of us. Now to my son Christopher, I have known you since the day you were born into this world. I have watched you grow from a quiet and sweet, curious child who Bella reminded me so much of to a young man who worked hard in sports and later mechanics to achieve your goals. You are a good friend, brother, father, and son. You have, we have loved you from the beginning and we still love you now. This might be hard for some to understand how I can sit here under these circumstances and tell you although we are heartbroken, although we can't imagine what could have led us to this day, but we love you. Maybe you can't believe it either. As the Lord said in Jeremiah 3.31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you and you as your mother, Chris, I have always loved you, and I still do. I hate what has happened. Your father and sister and I are struggling to understand why. But we will remain faithful as your family, just as God remains faithful because of his unconditional love for, all, for us all. We love you. 
and we forgive you, son. In the end, Chris also had the right to speak, but he chose not to. He didn't look at anyone at all, he didn't cry, he kept his head down and one leg swinging the whole time. Only during the reading of his sentence, he cried. This is perhaps the most uh, inhumane and vicious crime that I have handled out of the thousands of cases that I have seen. And nothing less than a maximum sentence um, would be appropriate. And anything less than the maximum sentence would depreciate the seriousness of this offense. Christopher Watts was sentenced to three life terms plus 48 years in prison. Netflix made a documentary about this case, American Murder, The Family Next Door. There are many more text messages exchanged between a lot of people on the case and many more images. Shannon's parents filed a lawsuit against Chris and he was ordered to pay $6 million to Ruchak family. That money would come from his share of the sale of the house, some other assets, and the money he makes in prison when working. After Shanine's murder, her social media was disabled. Nicole Kessinger managed to change her name for her own safety because many people still believe that she participated some way in the crimes. Christopher Watts remains in prison. Well, guys, that was today's case. Share this episode with your friends and help our channel grow. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. I see you in the next case. Hey! Você se interessa por crimes reais, serial killers, coisas macabras e tem um senso de humor um tanto quanto sórdido? Se sim, você não está sozinho. Se você precisa de um lugar recheado de pessoas como você, venha conhecer o podcast Pátria Amada Criminal. Todas as semanas tentamos entender o pior da humanidade. Nesse processo a gente ri, chora, fica brava, fofoca, porque afinal de contas é assim que a gente fala quando está entre amigos. Suas novas melhores amigas trevosas estão aqui no Pátria Amada Criminal.